Welcome to episode 179 of Smart Enough to Know Better. We're a podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance. I'm Dan Beeston. And I'm Greg Waugh. And in this episode of Smart Enough to Know Better, we've got a very exciting interview to get to. But Dan, first, how was your week in science? Shut up about your week in science. Didn't you hear me about the interview? <laughs> I'm going to the interview. <laughs> For the past 18 months, we've all been full of medicine knowledge. We've all become epidemiologists on the internet. But there's a whole area of medicine that we haven't even touched on, and that's the rest of the universe medicine. And so we thought we should get a space medicine expert. So today we'll be talking to Vienna Tran, space medicine researcher from the University of Adelaide. Hello, Vienna. Hello, Greg. Hello, Dan. Now, hello, hello. I'm here. <laughs> so what? I'm is, here too, everyone. Yeah, hello. Uh, look, everyone knows. Everyone knows that where Greg goes, Dan follows. It's just, it's just what it is. <laughs> There's no. So I'm sorry, Dan. That's, how are you, Dan? Sorry, I, don't, I didn't mean to ignore you. How, how are you going, Dan? Are you doing fine? Oh, I'm, I'm feeling a bit sick, but not, not Earth sick. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. <laughs> if only there was someone to help. <laughs> so Vienna, what is a space medicine researcher? And is it a, a normal medicine researcher, but higher? Ah, very clever. So space medicine is the study of the human body in space and how we keep astronauts healthy and safe in space. To, 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 within limits being that they're shuttling around faster than a bullet, like pl- constantly plunging towards planet Earth. Indeed, but they don't feel that, do they? There you go. I'm learning already. Maybe existentially they're feeling it. <laughs> <They're like>, ah! <laughs> but yeah, they're not actually. Yes, hopefully they're not. That'd be that'd be awful. Could you imagine if you did feel it? Just like ah! Ah! you wouldn't get much work done. <laughs> Everyone's deaf. Sorry about everyone. Sorry. I'll back away. From, back away from the mic, Greg. Back away from the mic. So Vienna, do you know anything about space deafness? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, everyone. We do alter our sense of hearing in space, and it could be to do with the fact that our otoliths in the ears sense whether you're up or down. So the otoliths are responsible for you feeling nauseous when you're reading in the car or when you're being held upside down as you do. So this could influence the way that we hear, but at the same time, the ISS is very loud, and when you're constantly hearing a buzz and a hum, and the walls are so narrow that you don't have a sense of what's up, what's down, what's close and what's far then your ears are very, very important for that. So you could say you could say that your, your hearing is altered in space in some way. And women are affected more than men for some reason. Definitely. Smaller ears. <laughs> that's, that's, thank you, Dan, medical expert Dan there. Uh, I, when you said before at the start about the impact of space on the human body, I'm assuming you just pop. Uh, I assume it's just it, that, that's the extreme. You don't need much medicine at that point. You need an undertaker because humans just we just don't design. I mean, I know you didn't mean in literal vacuum, but we don't we don't last long in vacuum. Do bad things happen in a vacuum? Bad things do so, happen in a vacuum. If you're worried about hearing loss too, that's the first thing. No, no one will hear you scream, I've heard. A very famous documentary said that. Indeed, no one would hear you scream. So um, if you were deaf anyway, then you'd be just the same as everybody else and nobody would hear anyone. It sounds like a board meeting. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so, so you don't uh, you decompress in space, uh, bad things happen to you, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about actually... I feel like we have jumped into the deep end yeah, of space <laughs> medicine. We've gone to straight to space triage, <laughs> space emergency. <laughs> 
<laughs> so let's, let's, what, 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 let's, let's pull can back we, a bit. Can we get, go back to the ground floor? No pun intended. The thing I know about space medicine is in the past we talked to a, a brewer, a beer brewer, who was designing a beer for space. And they were saying how your taste buds change in space. So he designed a beer so that they could take a beer and it would taste like it tasted on Earth when it's in space. But on Earth, it doesn't taste the same. It tastes differently. So he's told us your taste buds change in space. Do you know anything about that? They do. It's very interesting. And I imagine it's something to do with gravity. I I wonder if food falls onto your tongue, right? Does does it rely on gravity to, 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 to hit the tongue receptors and the taste receptors? You'd get taste that way, which means that you'd have less of a taste sensation in space. It'd be dulled. Mm. So you need to have sweeter beer and more yes. like manic beer. Manic <laughs> It never occurred to me that part of your taste would be the food pressing down on your tongue using gravity. Obviously, if it's floating in the middle of your mouth, you're not getting anything. Dan, there's an experiment that I need you to do then. Your next meal, because you're the foodie here, can you please buy one of those bat exercise things where you hang upside down and do sit-ups and pull-ups and then eat a meal upside down, please? I'm sure, Lynn... That seems like a very easy experiment to, to, to run. You really are reversing gravity in that case. You're not actually removing it. So what you have to do is eat in bed. Oh, oh, oh I can do that. <laughs> I'm sure the frog princess will be very, very happy about that, Dan. Okay, so, sweetie, you need to... Well, I'm doing an experiment, so I won't be leaving the bedroom for the day. So I imagine that the lack of up and down in space is a big part of the body's reaction. One other thing I can think of that's supposed to go down is food. Like, it's supposed to go all the way down. Are there, like, mechanisms there that sort of suffer? There certainly are. Our body, we start with the fact that it was evolved in to live in 1G. So it's used to doing all of its processes in 1G, and when you, which is one Earth gravity. And when you remove that, then the body gets very confused. When we're talking about food, of course, we do rely on gravity to force food down which is why it's important you sit up after you finish eating your dinner, which sometimes I'm made guilty of. (laughs) We also have in our gut, we have um, a process called peristalsis, which squeezes the food down along the pipe, as you will, and the bowel also peristalsis as well. So it's not just gravity that that helps the food go down, but the, the body is actively doing it. Of course, when you're in space, then you're only relying on peristalsis. And so people do get a bit of reflux and gastric discomfort and nausea and all of these things, especially when they're first in space. But I think as they get used to it, they, they do tend to digest the food. It does, does help that it's quite pureed food and it's, it's easier to eat than, you know, your average steak and celery. I just realised that they surely don't drink things like cola drinks or soft drinks, carbonated beverages, because you'd have that would just you'd be burping like a lunatic all the time. You would just be all that gas expanding. Well, you just explained that they have beer. Well, well, I think I think that they want to take beer. I don't know how much beer they have. No, <laughs> not yet. It must be really hard. Probably is. I, I actually don't know the specifics on carbonated drinks. That is highly a highly specific question, but I'll have to find <laughs> out for you. Are there foods that they avoid? I mean, in an enclosed space, the joke would be beans. But what, what else? What other, what other sort of <laughs> foods would uh, astronauts avoid up there? They once had a trial of freeze-dried ice cream because they wanted to try whether something like ice cream could survive in space. And obviously there's no... I remember no... we had a trial of that on Earth too. It didn't go for very long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There is... Freeze-dried ice cream does exist and it was manufactured for space. 
Um, the problem was that it was very crumbly because when you freeze dry something, it's it becomes like a meringue, and anything that is crumbly that leaves pieces that oh, yeah. is crunchy. We avoid in space because it can get into all the nooks and crannies and get into mm. the equipment, and um, it stays suspended in the air, and that's not very nice. Mm. So uh, we want the. This was a whole episode of, of The Simpsons. Yeah, you could you could filter feed through the center of the, the capsule like a whale shark. It's going, oh, it'd be great. No, that would be good. Oh yeah, The Simpsons. That's how you get space ants, isn't it? That's what, that's yeah. That's the problem. You, you got all the bits and pieces, and suddenly you got space ants everywhere, and, and you have to go. Who didn't clean up after they? And then you have to spray them with water, and you know, yeah, like, and then the water stays suspended. Yeah, yeah. And oh, it's a whole you know, thing. It's like you, I don't you can't know why. Fix it. So food is it's the body's evolved to work in one G. It, it can be problems with digestion, and I know that the toilets, the whole thing. We won't go there. We won't go talk about toilets and things. Let's talk about other medicine stuff. What else happens to the human body in microgravity? Well, let's go from head to toe, shall we? So in microgravity, we have fluids in our body in inside our blood vessels that's where the blood is and we have interstitial fluid as well so between our blood vessels and underneath our skin there's fluid everywhere our body is a large percentage of water Mm. and in space particularly the intravascular or the blood vessel fluids will rise up because it's used to being down towards the legs but it rises up towards the chest and the head which means it compresses on the brain causes headaches and nausea for the first few days until you get used to it and the fact that there's so much fluid up there also causes this pressure behind the eyeball or periorbital pressure. And a phenomenon has been found called space-acquired neuroocular syndrome, which is where your eyesight changes in space. And it's not very predictable and it's not fixable in situ. So the question is, do we need to manufacture glasses or contact lenses in space to deal with this space-flight-acquired neuroocular syndrome? Very interesting. Does that mean that if you have a prescription of, because you, I can see you both, uh, Dan and Vienna, you're both wearing glasses right now. That means you use those as prescriptions. So if you go into space, your prescription might not be the same, and I might require glasses in space. Correct. Oh my goodness. So, so my head's filling with pressurized fluid and pushing on my eyeballs and distorting the lens of the eyeballs. And it distorts the nerve that connects your eyeball to your brain. So not only may you have distortion of your eyeball, but you'd meet, you would have distortion of the nerve that is important for delivering those sight signals in the first place. But, but, but there, aren't they electrical signals? How does squishing the nerve, is that going like to give you tunnel vision or blank out bits or...? Thankfully, we haven't seen any emergency cases of actual vision loss. But if you imagine your nerve uh, as a, a straight line and it's perfectly healthy and balanced, if you kink that nerve, of course, you're going to have some impingement of some of those signals. It's the same as if you hit your funny bone. Although you didn't cut your nerve, you still affected it. Or if you like, wow. you know, sit in a weird position for a long time, all that tingling feelings. Pins and needles of the eye. <laughs> That's the same like with, uh, with, with, with electrical wires, by the way. Because if, if you hang an electrical wire between two poles and send a signal down, you have to take into account it's a curve. It's not a straight line like an optical fiber on the ground. It's, it's curved. That changes how the signal bounces around, refracts inside that optical fiber. Wouldn't be the same process. So I'm just thinking aloud now. Wouldn't be the same process because it's an electrical signal down a neuron. But yeah, it's interesting that they, both your wires and nerves are affected in a similar way, it seems. 
So does that mean you're talking about the blood? So normally the blood at your feet, and then of course now it's floating around your body. So it's it's in a place it not normally is at the pressure it normally was. Does this mean that space is going to need space apothecaries to do some space bloodletting? Like you'll come in and they'll get like a space leech, and they'll just like suck out all the blood from you. It's like you go, oh, come on in, and you're like, oh. This sounds even worse than the potato chips as a, a, a logistics problem. Well, because that, oh, that's, the- that's why you have a leech, because then the leech sucks it out, and then then you just you just fire it into space, or you give it to the next person. <laughs> Well, I mean, the, le- the leech would metabolize all of that blood and nutrients, so it, yeah. it would need more. So, like, eventually, when when it sucked you dry, it would probably you know you'd give it to the next person and then the next person and the next yeah. person. So, yeah, it's. I'm going to be a space apothecary. That's what I'm going to be. When my job when I get to space is going to be the the crystal healer they go to to, to get their blood down. Yeah. Does a high pressurized head make thinking? Different? Probably worse, actually. You, your cognition would not be as good because you've got fluid where you wouldn't normally be and it would give mm. you a headache. Mm. That's, that's why they, they get headaches for the first few days in space. Talking about space apothecaries, Ooh. don't worry, the body already does that. So oh. my next point... <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, is, I'm out of a job already. <laughs> oh, I know. We've got in, in our arteries, our carotid arteries in our neck, we've got something called baroreceptors. And they are pressure sensors. Yes, Dan is touching them right now. Um, everybody touch your baroreceptor. Um, and there's, there's I think I'm dead. <laughs> I can't feel a pulse. Keep your hands on your wheel if you're driving a car right now. Don't touch your, touch your neck. Just leave it alone. And it senses our blood pressure. These baroreceptors will tell the body to increase our blood pressure if it's too low or it will decrease our blood pressure if it's too high. So these baroreceptors are very important. But in space, there's more fluid up here, this side of the body. So the baroreceptors think, oh, we've got a really high blood pressure. No, we actually don't. And so the baroreceptors will then tell the body to activate this process to urinate out more fluid so that we can lower our blood pressure. Oh. <laughs> oh, that, no. That's not where I would have thought. So the, I didn't think it would have come from there. That's interesting. But sorry, go on, Dan. So the, the tool that measures... The pressure is at a different part of the body to the tool that relieves the pressure. So, oh, that's a terror. Who designed that? You'd have to go back a, a few years, Dan, to, to, to oh question that person who designed that. <laughs> that's, um, wow, okay. Yeah. So, once again, the human body is doing its best, but it really is having a... It's like, it's thinking... Uh, I was I was evolved for the savannas of Africa. This is like a hundred kilometers higher than I should be. Like it's this is not good. None of the, nothing, nothing is good here. It never needed to deal with this problem before. So I was like, oh, you'd put baroreceptors up here, put the urinary system down there, and you, you know. Yep, yep. And no it kind of makes sense. Keep the keep the the uh, the the information system, like the information gathering area, as far away from the waste disposal system as possible. I think it's good. I think it's a that's a pretty good concept. But, unfortunately in space, no, it hasn't worked quite as well. So the urinating out of fluid means that we end up having a lower blood pressure in general and we have a lower blood volume. But that's okay because it solves a lot of the the, the fluid in the head problem and the the fluid distribution problem a little bit. Mm. The problem is if you urinate a lot, then you may get kidney stones because the other thing that happens in space is that our bones don't get the same neurosensory input because we're not using it as much so the bones think we don't need this calcium anymore let's leach it out into the bloodstream and let's get rid of it 
So we, we were using all this calcium to support our weight. Apparently, we don't have weight anymore. We that's, don't. No. That's so weird. I, 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 everything we just talked about before about how we didn't evolve to for this sort of stuff. I love the fact the body just goes, "Oh, we don't need bones anymore. Get, get rid of them." Like it just <laughs> instantly decides, "Ah, bones are garbage." You're like, "You've used them for billions of years. Why have you given up on bones right now?" I was like, no, no, we're done with bones. Have we done? Bodies are lazy. Have we done Greg. with bone? Have we done with blood pressure? No, no, no. We're, we're definitely going to screw that up. But bones, we're, we're we're pissing our bones out at this point. <laughs> What are you doing, buddy? What are you doing? <laughs> I'm just thinking of how you would piss out a bone, but I oh god, oh, oof, that seems painful. Painfully is the answer. Yeah, yeah that's right. Oh my goodness. Start with an ear one, one of them little Oster- tiny yeah, the ear Oster-lips. ones, and move up from there. <laughs> oh. I, the, you, you don't want to start at the great big one first. I've seen a. Yeah. I, I, I wandered down a rabbit hole on the internet one day that touches on this subject and it's all about incrementally larger things <laughs> so we lose bone mass and do our bones become so therefore they must get more porous uh lighter easily more breakable pliable bendable that can fit into smaller spaces and things like that Leap out of space so much, cupboards. No. I, that uh, actually be more brittle yeah oh damn it Oh, it's yeah. not even oh, the body's rubbish. Okay, so you're not going to end up like Kiff from Futurama. <laughs> made, well, he's made from a system of bladders. He's, he's squishy. Yeah, he's squishy. Yes, it's topical reference no. for our. For our <laughs> you, you wouldn't be squishy. You just have very very weak bones. Just think of someone who's got like advanced stage osteoporosis. Oh um, no! Yeah, yeah. How quickly does that happen? How quickly does that? Ha- we lose about ten percent of our bone density per month. Oh, oh my goodness. Now, that doesn't mean you get but, 10% and then 20% and then 30%. It's 10% of the, the 90% that was remaining and so on. Sure. That's, yeah. yeah. After, I was to say, after a year, you're in negative bones at that point, and you're just like, you're just a pizza at that thing. You're sort of this flat thing flying around. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're shipping bones up just to eat them. Yeah. And then... <laughs> <laughs> Do you like give them lots of tuna fish or salmon? <laughs> Like lots of uh, what's the white thing again? Cuttlefish, calcium, oh, sorry, calcium-rich I was, foods. I, was, I think I think you cuttlefish. <laughs> um, calcium-rich foods. Yes, yeah. So they they do attempt to have a, a well-balanced diet, but if you think about it, feeding the astronaut calcium is like having a hole in the bottom of a bucket and you're filling it with water. No matter how much you give to them, the bones are just going. They, they're smarter than you, so they're going to be like. <laughs> Let's get rid of this, regardless of how much you're eating. Now, people would say, what about vitamin D? Because vitamin D, which we get from the sun and from foods, helps us absorb calcium. They've tried with... they're closer to the sun. (laughs) They're up there with it. Open the window. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, calcium. Um, So, yeah, so vitamin D has been trialed. But it's not enough. And the two hours of exercise that these astronauts have to do every day to prevent that weakness from mm. happening is also not enough. Oh. So they still come back with lower bone mineral density than they did going up. How about punching? Maybe if, like, if you strike them like, on their every major bone, like, they give them a lot of punching, that, that, that will give their bones, like, oh, no, we have to stay strong because someone's punching me a lot. I mean, I'm, being, I'm kind of being silly but also kind of serious. Is, would, would, would violent pressure make their bones stronger? Very good question. And yeah. it's, good, it's good that you asked that because then I can talk about muscles later on and some of my research. Ooh. But if you get passively punched, if you stand there or you don't stand in space, but if you get, <laughs> if, 
if you float there and mm-hmm. get passively punched, your brain is not communicating with your muscles to move your limbs. So you're not having that active nervous input. It's a more passive process, right? So mm-hmm. and it's the same with, with other processes, like why not spin them in an artificial gravity centrifuge? They're not actively doing the work. And you need to actively do the work to be able to build up your bones and muscles. So no, you couldn't get probably get passively punched violently, even mm. though that sounds like a really great idea, uh, minus the bruises and the... I've found a flaw in that. Is it in space? You can only punch someone once, and then <laughs> and you fly away. Like they're, then they're both going to be flying away from yes, each other. Unless... Good point. Newton. Newton kicks in and once ruins everything for everyone. And how do they do CPR in space? Then would, you, would they just pump once, or what do you <laughs> well, think? You pump. You pump once. You hit the ceiling. You bounce back. You pump twice. It would be like watching a jousting match <laughs> where you're constantly passing each other and going, boom. Okay, that's one heartbeat. <laughs> it's a 30 okay, people coming back around. I'm, I'm going to need 30 of you to line up and hit him once a second. We'll just fly in like a freight train of, of helping. Uh, <laughs> sounds very violent. It's, and it's, we, we can't fit 30 people in the space station right uh, now. That's, that's, yeah, you know, that's, that aside. It, but. Drat. So you, what you're saying is there's no point being the space punch E. You've got to be the space punch er. That's right, and that's where our exercise equipment comes in. Because how do you run in space on a treadmill? How do you stay on the treadmill? You have to strap yourself down, and then you run. So that's good for mm. the heart. That's their cardiovascular exercise. And then they have something called the advanced resistive exercise device. Because if you imagine, if, I don't know how it's a rubber it band, isn't it? It's just a rubber band. It, it, isn't it is. It, it, it is a, a system band. of pulleys and rubber bands. Well, probably not rubber bands, but it's a big system, a multi-station of weights and resistive exercises and things. And so that's why they're actively doing the work. That neuromuscular input would help build the muscles back and then therefore the bones back as well. Oh. Um, so that's what they need. Okay. And you're saying it's two hours of exercise a day just to keep themselves from peeing all their bones out. And that includes, you know, cleaning up the equipment, setting up the equipment, moving it into different places. Yep. So, yeah, you, you couldn't do this, the thing that you do at the gym where you just leave the weights for the next person to come and, come and do it because, <laughs> yeah. yeah, hygiene is important and, you know, putting things in the right place is important in a place like the space station. Being that there's a couple of people all living in a very small environment, wouldn't they all just be sharing all of their bacteria and horror anyway? <laughs> like, wouldn't, wouldn't it just become an, a homogenous mass of the same horror? Like, why, does, why is hygiene that much more important in space? That's a really good question. Why is hygiene important anyway? Like, if anyone's... That's in- what I keep asking my wife! <laughs> It's just waste of water, I say. Uh, You may think it's all the same bacteria, but it doesn't mean that the one person's bacteria can't infect yours. It, it's it's more to do with if, if say, one astronaut gets gets a, a cut or, or they get a, a respiratory uh-huh. infection. It's the same virus it, or it's the same bacteria, the same the same species. But if it gets into the wrong place, it's going to cause issues no matter what. Mm. Are there viruses that are more or less dangerous in space than on Earth? I love this topic. Thank you. I was going to bring it up, but viruses actually reactivate in space. So, oh no! <laughs> so, <laughs> indeed, oh no. <laughs> They've done tests where they tested the viral load of various viruses in astronauts before and then during and then after flight. And they noticed that during flight, there's more of a viral count. So there's more copies of the DNA in that person's blood. And um, it, it is so for certain viruses, uh, the herpes viruses and the EBV, Epstein-Var virus, which is the technical term for mono or 
um, what's the other one? Glandular, glandular fever. fever. Yeah, yeah, mm. that's right. Okay. So those are. That's what mono is. Sorry, yeah. I just learned, I was this age, I was this old, this, this many years old when I discovered, because people talk about mono as a, I, right, it's glandular fever. Did not know that. Interesting. It's, it's all the same. It's infectious huh. monocytosis, glandular huh. fever, Epstein-Barr virus. Huh. Kissing disease. Kissing uh, and, uh See, all those astronauts in the same small area all very attractive and yeah. athletically and educated people. and fit and like oh my who who wouldn't want to hook up I, with an astronaut? That's right, yeah, that's like the cream of the crop. Anyway, they don't like to say it, but it probably has happened. It has to have happened. Human beings, they can't stop touching each other. We're filthy monkeys. That's what. That's just look. There are seven seven point eight billion of us proving the point. Anyway. Wait a minute, there's a point well, eight I, I, now? The last time I looked, it was oh. just seven. Like, what's going on with the oh, world? Just, I, I, no one knows where they're coming from. One day we'll work That's out That's happened since it. this morning. That's right. It's, it's all these astronauts. Stop it, you filthy animals. Uh, well, uh, I had a, <laughs> I've, I've been thinking about this interview, and I had this question in mind. Uh, do astronauts ever get completely naked in space? Because they're in such close quarters, and you'd never see it in the documentaries. <laughs> But imagine just being totally nude in space. I mean, they'd have to. They they, they don't have they, the normal showers that you and I would have, but they use wet towels and they put shampoo in their hair like directly on and then, yeah, they wash it off. It's, it's all towel they, and but the, water-based. It'd be a little towel thing. So you could do it piecemeal. Like if there were like... Ha, ha, I imagine privacy is really hard to come by up there. I would imagine so, but there are modules and there are doors and, you know, the toilet has a door. That's really important. And <laughs> privacy is a good, it, it, it is important because it, it's good for team dynamics and privacy and alone time should be a human right. And mm. so when we send more people into space, how much alone time should we really give them and how should we build our space houses so that people mm. can have their me time as well as their together time? In space, mm. no one should hear you poop. Indeed. Although if you just went piecemeal and like did one piece of clothing at a time and then clean and then put that back on, at least you'd know where your clothes were at the end. Because like, you, you wouldn't want them just sort of suddenly, like, some element of clothing just wandering off. I've just realised, Dan, what you've invented is space burlesque. Ooh. So you can, you'd like, take off a piece of clothing, wipe yourself down, wink at the audience, put it back on. So I'll be space apothecary, some... you'll be space burlesque. We, we, we've got a there whole show going on at this point. Seven veils just <laughs> hanging in the air. Right. Like, yeah, like... It would be very cool, wouldn't it? It would be, like, the tricks that the burlesque people have been trying to do for yeah. years... This is done in space. It would solve the whole problem. Makes pole dancing a lot easier too. SHUKB, <laughs> <laughs> nice. we're, we're, um, we're claiming this, by the way. Space Burlesque, that's, we invented that when, in, in future times. It came from this podcast. There we go. Hula hoops would be a no-brainer. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can still get a hula hoop going because a hula hoop requires you to push against the other side and flick it around. So you're applying the force. So you can put it on your finger and still flick it around your finger. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Still but work. it would never fall to your feet. No, it, but it just... Like you could, oh, you could hula hoop yeah, forever. Yeah. You'd go to sleep hula yeah, hooping. Right. <laughs> I've never been able to hula hoop before. I reckon I could ha- have a red hot go in, in space. Uh, yeah, yeah, there you go, Dan. We, oh, my goodness. So you're going to be useful, Dan. So... That brings us to an interesting question. What sort of activities do they dissuade you from doing in space <laughs> for uh, for health and safety reasons? Dissuade you from doing? I think that astronauts are selected well enough that they know the types of activities that they can and cannot do in space. Mm. And they're trained for perhaps years to know what to do and what not to do. And they go through simulations and things. Activities wise. Vaping. I mean, no no vaping. vaping. You couldn't vape. You couldn't smoke. No. You probably couldn't. No. Can't fire a gun. Th- you can't do parkour. 
You can't cut. Or, or, or you do parkour really well. There's the two ways that could run, I guess. Uh, really slowly, yeah. <laughs> parkour! What are you doing, Jim? I'm still parkouring. Uh, it's been an hour. Uh, parkour. Uh, he's still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. They are busy enough. Like they, 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 they need their eight hours of sleep, which they probably don't get given the, the terrible sleeping environment and the sleep mm. hygiene. And they, they wake up, they need to do their two hours of exercise. So what, that's 14 hours left. And they do their eating and their calls with mission control and their science experiments that the kids have sent up. And it would be, they've got to do those experiments. Lots of different tasks and jobs. They're busy as it is, and any time that they're not doing any tasks, they just like to sit in the cupola, which is a window that looks back down at the earth, and they take photos, and they experience bliss and peace. Oh, that's the existential dread. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> See, and occasionally flirt with my wife, that French <laughs> astronaut. I don't like the way she looks at him on the news stories. Oh, no. He is very dreamy, though, Dan. Like you, you aren't, and and he can speak French, so that's always a that's a useful thing. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously they're not doing stupid things like we would in space, but I imagine there are certain accidents that could happen. Are, are there elements of space medicine that need to think about how to deal with accidents? I'm sure there would be. What's an ex- accident that we could think of? Well, that's an injury. Well, what if sort you of, cut yourself yes. open in space, yeah. is that just the same as on Earth? Yeah, just uh, you'd have to, to compress, put a bandage compress, on compress, it. compress. Um, yeah. Don't let that blood float out into the ether because we mm. don't know what's in that blood. So we, we try to keep all the biology inside the body. So mm. <laughs> <laughs> compression would be the mainstay of treatment there, um, same as on Earth. You mentioned sleep hygiene before. I imagine there's heaps of trouble sleeping, but are there solutions that space medicine is bringing to that? I think that's a great point because space medicine encompasses not only the physical health and the physical survival, but also the thriving of people in space. And that would encompass psychology and mental health and perhaps the architecture that one would need to create to facilitate thriving and overall well-being. And sleep is a big part of that. We take it for granted. We, we hop into bed and go to sleep and it's usually nice and quiet and dark unless you do shift work. But we don't have that in space. Sleeping bags actually just get Velcroed to the wall <laughs> and the astronauts can choose where they would like to Velcro their sleeping bag. So that's the first thing is that it's probably not a consistent sleeping spot. And if it is a consistent sleeping spot, then it's already noisy. There's lights everywhere that aren't a very nice colour. There's machinery and there's people going around because, of course, it, it is shift work up there. Then mm. Not everybody goes to sleep at the same time. That would be bad. I just realised that would be very bad if everyone went to sleep at the same time. It's like, uh, ISS, this is uh, Mission Control. Uh, we have an asteroid coming. You probably need to uh, get out of the way. Hello? Anyone awake? Hello? Anyone awake here? Hello? Wake up, guys. Ladies. Houston, we have a problem. (laughs) Yeah, Houston, Houston, we have a sleeping issue. (laughs) This is what drives me nuts about the Orville. They have a night time on the Orville and everyone goes to sleep. There's no one driving the thing. (laughs) They just pull over in a a space marina or something. I, I was thinking the I was thinking the best place to sleep would be the the cupola uh, because you get the view of the Earth. But also, I just know that I would forget where I was, so I'd wake up in the morning, or in the middle of the night, I'd go, oh, I look out the window, and there'd be the planet Earth. And I'd be going, ah, ah, again. I'd just be, I, it's like, oh, there you go. Uh, the space apothecary is woken up. Oh my god, oh my 
you're in space. Oh, that's right. Yes, thanks. Yeah. It's like, I'm, it's, <laughs> it, it would be really spooky all the time. It'd just be. It is spooky. And what about the sensation of being able to lie down? Like the, the, the gravity that, 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 you know, exerts this force on your body as you lie down. It's very pleasant, right? It's very nice to be able to lie down. Mm. Uh, but they mm. wouldn't experience that either. <laughs> so they, they'd probably strap themselves down a little, like a little bit more tightly so that they could have a similar sensation. Mm. Um, in the similar way that a weighted blanket is proposed to work. I've never used one, so I don't know. There's lots of things that one needs to have in order to have a good night's sleep. Mm. Did you know that sleeping tablets are one of the two most used medications in space? Ooh. Ah, okay. that brings out a second question. Is it herpes? Is it anti? It's a, it's a, it's the it's the kissing thing, isn't it? That's the to get rid of the breakdown of. No, okay, sorry. Just want to, I'm getting back to the sexy thoughts again. Sorry, I'm sorry. But what's the other pill? What's the what's the most common pill? I'm being judged by Dan very hard right now. <laughs> no, I just don't want to make any mistakes that you're making right now. So I'm, I'm... only only one of us needs to make mistakes today. Excellent. <laughs> it's my job. <laughs> I assigned it to you, Craig. Thank you. Um, the other one is antihistamines because you get blocked noses. Yeah, sinuses blocked. What? Why? 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 Because normally your your mucus, instead of being in your nose, it, it, it goes into your sinuses and then you can swallow it or it goes back down into your lungs. But that you have mucus that stays there and you've got fluids that stay in your sinuses. So Oh, no. So, yes, you, it, it, it is a little bit, but they're used to it. So they take antihistamines for that. So you'd sneeze. You go, ah, poof, you go, it's like like that ad. They, there's an ad. There was an ad. Oh yeah. Do you remember that ad? Yeah. Someone's ha- someone sneezes in space, and it's just a nightmare or something. It's not in space, but it's a slow motion version of someone sneezing on Earth right. with a black background, and it's a side profile of the person. Like oh oh no oh no 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 no. That would be you <laughs> you eject that at speed, and then ah oh, you'd splatter the inside of the couple. Of, oh, be awful. Do you, do you have? Uh, Tissues in space? I'm sure they do have tissues in space. Because I wonder if they have to be special tissues without, like, paper fibres or something. That's a really good point. I didn't know that. A handkerchief. A handkerchief, maybe. Like a cotton handkerchief. Mm. Because if you blow Mm. your nose, I wonder if stuff's coming through it at all. Oh. And they'd have to again be like the the ultimate zero waste connoisseurs, right? Because they cannot waste anything on the space station, and they can't afford to even throw tissues away. Probably, why mm. why throw it away if you can reuse it? So a handkerchief might be the way to go, but I'm not I'm not quite sure. Sneezing though takes me to the idea of bacteria in space Ooh. and infectious diseases. So think Ooh. about yes, a very small enclosed space with multiple people Ooh. and nowhere to leave the bacteria <laughs> behind. And whenever you sneeze or when any bodily fluid makes it into the air, then it stays there. So you're going to suck it up, the next person who comes along. And and in addition to that, the bacteria, because bacteria, they they evolve more quickly than humans do. Mm. Their lifespans are shorter and they, they multiply more quickly. So they are able to evolve by the theory of evolution quickly to the new space environment. So they become more resistant to the stresses of space and become more resistant to antibiotics. So there's no (laughs) way of knowing whether your antibiotic that you're taking is working. So do they quarantine astronauts before they go up? Because you wouldn't want them to sort of go up with a head cold that's going to go through the whole place. I'd imagine they would have to quarantine before they go up. Interestingly, though, um, I did talk to, uh, I did email Andy Thomas the other day, and his wife was on the space station, Shannon Walker, and he said that she could go home as soon as she landed oh. on the same day. 
So they may not. It makes sense that they don't have to quarantine on the way back. It's more important they quarantine before going up. I mean, look, decades of sci-fi movies have told me that it's definitely important to quarantine humans on their way back from space because something's about to pop out of their tummy. It's true. And with the the lunar missions, Apollo 11, they first came back from the moon, they had to quarantine for about 10 days, two weeks, something like that, for a long time because they they just weren't too sure. In the 60s, they were like, we're pretty certain you didn't pick up something from the moon, but we don't know. (laughs) So we'll just leave you. We'll leave you in this chamber for a while and see if something bursts out of you. And uh, it didn't, thank goodness. And, and if you say that to Buzz Aldrin, he'll punch you in the face. So there you go. <laughs> He's got an attitude, that man. He He's does. always the most like artistically dressed amongst all the astronauts in all yeah. the photos. He's fantastic. He's a great guy. I have nothing bad to say about him because he will punch me in the face. So it's, there you go, Buzz. <laughs> all the way from so, the States. That's why he's, he's an astronaut. He can, he can get here pretty quickly. <laughs> He'll pass overhead every 90 yeah, minutes. Right. Just punch you. Just <laughs> bring your face up here. That'd be a very long arm that he's using. <laughs> so he's got the long arm and the other one's got the strong one. That's, uh, right. that's, that's pretty yeah. good. That's not. That's very nicely done. It's, it's probably, too, probably too clever. It's probably, no. If anything. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so... <laughs> On Earth, if someone's got a, a medical problem, then there are all these sort of diagnostic tools that you can have, but they've kind of got to travel there and climb inside them. So what sort of diagnostic tools do astronauts have access to and what ones do they just not have access to which you'd, lo- which you'd like them to have access to? Mm, that's, that's a re- really good question. So diagnostic tools, first thing is they do have an AI robot on the space station that can help diagnose your illness from simply taking a history and entering in some data. Mm. So if you say like, oh, I've got a runny nose, I've, I've got a cough, and you type that into the AI robot, then the, uh, it will tell you the possible diagnoses and what you'd need to do to confirm them. And is, is this AI more reliable than Dr. Google, who's, uh, who always just answers, it's probably cancer? <laughs> I think it's more reliable than Dr. Google. I, okay. I put, I have faith in, I have faith in the system. I do not have as much faith in Google. Now, and, and now with this AI, if I'm outside of the craft and I'm coming back in, will it open the pod bay doors, or will I have to leap across the space? Like, I'm- only if you call it Hal and you say please. Then yes. we'll probably open the pod that's bay right. doors for you. And, and, we'll, and we'll, uh, we'll sing Daisy with it. That's fine. So Daisy, Daisy. I don't think Hal opened the doors just because he said please. I, I'm pretty sure that was overridden by someone else inside. No, no, no. no, no, no well, that's correct here, Dan. He had to jump right. from his craft through through open space and then close the door and then manually open it while Hal was like yeah, saying nasty right. things to him the whole time. But certainly Hal did not just react to him saying No, please. that's true. No, that that's that's purely AI propaganda from Vienna at that point. <laughs> exactly. I'm, like, I'm, just, I'm just here to propaganda you. <laughs> In reality, I've always wanted to walk up to someone called Dave and tell them that, sorry, I can't do that. <laughs> oh, it's, we, we know it, Dave, and we have done that joke. <laughs> he, he wasn't impressed. Anyway... <laughs> I'm going to be a doctor next so, year. If I meet a patient called Dave and the Dave, Dave asks me something, I'm going to be like, I'm sorry, Dave. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. I can't do that. And they're going to go... Save my life. No, I can't. Did, did, didn't you sign an oath that said you had to? Well, it doesn't say anywhere, Dan, with that oath that Vienna, <laughs> Vienna can't have a bit of fun with it. That's what it that's, that's... I haven't done the oath yet. That's in November. Oh, 
That's excellent. It's very exciting. So up until then, yeah, up until all, then, the gloves are off. Yep. All Dave's. <laughs> all Dave. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one thing we haven't talked about yet is radiation. Mm. Where we're quite well protected from radiation down here, you know, the ozone layer and stuff. Is radiation something that you have to deal with with space medicine? Absolutely. It's a big part of it. It used to be the biggest risk that NASA was working on. NASA has a chart that ranks the different medical risks in terms of how long it will take for us to solve it and how big of a risk it will be probability-wise. Interestingly... Mm. Bear loose, very low on the list. (laughs) Leeches, however. (laughs) They get everywhere. (laughs) Um, you got just like an Australian bush. You got to check your sleeping bag for space leeches just to get them out. Get out there, you bugger! Space spiders. Oh, that'd be... oh. 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 Mm. That, that's Australia's gift to the ISS. <laughs> yeah, we sent spiders what? to space, didn't we? Or no. well, someone did. There were spiders in space. I don't know. Oh, ooh. actually, I think those were the ones that were destroyed on the Columbia when it came back. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's why those poor little spiders. I mean, oh, yeah, the poor spiders. Um, (laughs) Anyway, we were talking about radiation. (laughs) I don't know how we got to spiders, but we're we're back on radiation. That's Greg's fault. He made the mistake. (laughs) I am the punching bag. Go for it, please. A passive punch, punching passive. bag. Yeah, it won't help my bones, but you'll feel yeah, better. It won't help your bones, but it'll give you some bruises. <laughs> <laughs> yes, radiation is definitely something that we need to worry about. We are safe here because of the Van Allen belt, which the Earth's magnetic core generates a magnetosphere, and the Van Allen belts are particles that are caught within the, the field lines of the magnetosphere, meaning that these, these dangerous high-energy particles don't reach us here on Earth. The ISS is also beneath the Van Allen belts. So the astronauts on the ISS don't get very much radiation, comparatively speaking. Once you venture outside the magnetosphere onto a mission to Mars or to the moon, then that's when you go outside of the protective, that protective bubble. And that's where you can be hit by ionising radiation, high-energy particles from the sun, but also from deep space. Deep space, has we have cosmic radiation and galactic radiation and gamma rays coming in from various events that happen in deep space. Billions and billions and billions of kilometres away, you could have a pulsar or a quasar or a supernova occur. And that radiation, provided it doesn't hit anything else, it would just come travelling straight to us. So it is very, very dangerous out there. Uh, We don't know exactly how it's going to affect us. Less than 20 people have been outside the Van Van Allen belts ever, and we didn't study them thoroughly back then. It was a long time ago. Mm. It it is a problem not only for humans, but for the equipment that we take and the medications that we take, which happen Mm. to expire more quickly on the ISS than they do on Earth. Oh, wow. There's a great... Everyone should go watch it. Veritasium, the YouTuber, and he did a great video just quite recently talking about radiation and computers and how electronic equipment can get very badly damaged by radiation. And so if you're in space, that would be an even bigger problem, I'm assuming, of your computers could shut down or goof, you know, which is very bad. You don't want to be, you don't want to be trying to get back into the atmosphere with a controlled burn and then your computer goofs. And that would be problematic. Does an operating system update. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, reject, reject, reject. <laughs> It'd be very, very difficult. Yeah, fifty-nine seconds, fifty-eight seconds. Like, click, click, click. The mouse won't work. Oh no. Um, <laughs> in space, is this a mouse going past? You're like, God oh, damn it! Actually, a mouse doesn't yeah. work much better. Doesn't work well in space either because that's that's gravity as well. You got to. It'd be like mousing against a wall. <laughs> yes. 
You were saying medication expires faster in space. What what mechanism is doing that? It's likely mostly the radiation with also components of accelerations and vibrations that destabilize the active component of the drug. Wow. So medication would break down faster if it was stored in a vehicle as well. Probably. And in sunlight or, Mm, you know, in, you know, especially if it's a photosensitive medication or if it's a liquid medication, apparently they they degrade more quickly than the solid medications do. The problem is that the, the astronauts on the space station use the same medications as you and I would use at the pharmacy. We don't have space-specific drugs yet, and there are researchers at the University of Adelaide looking at making space-specific drugs that are shielded from radiation with the same active ingredient. So more stable. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Are there any other differences to in space? Like, would I need to take more or less paracetamol, or is there are there any medications that change in space? Yeah, so you can think of it in terms of pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics. Of course. And that These are two new words <laughs> that I kind of know what they are, and they are very cool. Pharmacodynamics is what the drug does to you, and pharmacokinetics is what the body does to the drug. So, if, for example, um, your pharmacodynamics in space would be affected because there's less active ingredient in the first place. And another example of pharmacodynamics would be that it may not be absorbed very well in space because you've got, you're not able to swallow that properly. Mm. And, and it could just float down the middle of the, <laughs> of the, the pipe. It may not touch the side. No, it's definitely trying to pee everything out. And it's just like, go, go, like a fire hose. It's ridiculous. Uh, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's just, you'd be like, oh, damn it. It's just going to, yeah, I mean, that could be a problem too. As in if, mm. if you are peeing more, if, if, drug, if the drug is reduced that way, I'm just thinking aloud here. I'm not a doctor. Your liver and your kidneys are responsible for the metabolism of your drugs. So if those organs are affected in any way, maybe by radiation, then pharmacokinetics means that your drug wouldn't be metabolized as well. So it wouldn't have that same effect. So maybe you would need to take more of an active ingredient. It's a very, very, very fine science. And we need more, more sample sizes to make conclusions about that. And every drug is different too. So it makes things very complicated. When you're saying before about radiation and people with radiation, do you get a choice between whether you can stretch a lot, turn invisible, go on fire, or turn into stone? What's this got to do with radiation? Oh, that's I'd say the looks like someone's behind on their Marvel <laughs> pop culture stuff. That's, that's all I can bring. Or maybe someone's just so old that they think everyone knows all <laughs> so, pop culture no, references. There were these four astronauts, and in the sixties, they went into space. They were family. They they were um, the Richards, like Reed Richards, Sue Richards, Doctor Reed, Doctor mm. Sue. They yeah, uh, yeah, they were fantastic. they were fantastic. They were all four of them, and they went into space. And then they got hit. It's the Fantastic Four. I'm sorry. I, I... The, the question is, who would who'd be able to, who'd, who'd win in a fist yes. fight, Mr. Fantastic mm. or Buzz Aldrin? That's Buzz a, Aldrin. And the long arms. Definitely Buzz Aldrin. Definitely. He's, he's been um, genetically modified by, by going onto space and touching the moon. And obviously, <laughs> when he came back, he, he, he quarantined, but, you know, he still had those powers. So. <laughs> That's, we heard of the first. All right. Uh, <laughs> I need to know about muscles. I mean, they must break down entirely in space. We just don't need them, do we? We don't need any muscles in space. We can just float around like a big happy blob. Until you get back to a gravity well. Yeah, but who's then you really that? need them. 
That's okay. <laughs> if you're going to travel in space, it implies that you're going somewhere, right? So when you mm. get to Mars or when you get back down to Earth, then oh, you yeah. need the muscles and then you're oh. in trouble. So That's you're at risk point. of fractures and lack of mobility and non-productivity and soreness and it's not very nice. So when we're, we're sending humans back to the moon very soon, like within the next couple of years, there's the Artemis mission and they're going to send humans to the moon, the first woman on the moon and they're saying the first person of colour on the moon and they're going to land them on the moon and then they're going to come home. I'm assuming it's going to be like a week in space or so to get them there, maybe even longer because I don't think they're going to run there, just look around and then run back like we've kind of done in the past. When they land, can they just step out of the capsule and go, hi, everyone, we're great? Or do they have to be like carried out or do they have crutches? Is it that fast? Can they can they deteriorate that quickly, muscles and bones? Good question. For a mission to the moon, it takes a few days only. So they probably wouldn't deteriorate that fast. And as you might have seen footage of the Apollo astronauts, they got out just fine. Okay. It's it's when it's months, months. Uh, if you've seen footage of astronauts having been on the ISS for months and coming back down, it does take a little while for them to sort of stand up, but they, they will. Mm. Their balance may not be normal quite yet, but they, they eventually do. When they get to the moon, the moon is only one-sixth of Earth's gravity, so it's closer to no gravity than it is the Earth's gravity. And so I think I think the, the astronauts would be fine landing there. Yeah. Mars, we don't know so much about. We, we hardly know enough about microgravity or zero G, let alone partial gravity. We need mm. more experiments on that too. Yeah. Talk about a movie again, but the, the movie The Martian, I love the Andy Weir book and then the movie. The, the, the astronauts who rescue him, they go to Mars, they go back to Earth, they slingshot around the Earth quickly and they go back to Mars. That's the fastest way because they can pick up. They're in space for, I think, over a year. And I was thinking, you must be in trouble at this point. You must be getting back to Earth. Their, their bodies must be rubbish. Didn't they have a, a an exercise ring? They had a spinning the ring. They, they had a they had a, a, a yeah. partial gravity ring. But even that, I wonder would that would that be enough if you can rotate something up like in two thousand and one? Like, in, would it be enough to keep your bones from peeing out? This is my research that I did all of last year, so I'm very familiar with the concept of artificial gravity. Mm-hmm. In fact, my research involved putting get this: we had participants being paid to lie down in bed for 60 days. Oh. That it was to simulate the microgravity part. And some of those participants, the intervention group, were wheeled on this bed to the artificial gravity centrifuge room. They'd lie in the centrifuge and they'd get spun at 1G to see if that would change anything. Oh, oh wow. Okay. <laughs> wow. Did it? Not for the hip muscles, which is what I was looking at. Oh, no. Also known as the gluteal muscles or the butt. The butt, okay. Yeah. So you, so you're a space butt doctor. I'm a space butt doctor. <laughs> I, 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 now hang on, are we sure that means the same thing? <laughs> Proctology in space, no. Gluteal um, yeah, yeah. muscles in space, yes. Yes. You don't go into the butt. You just deal with the outside of the butt. The outside. You just orbit yeah. it. You orbit the butt. She likes space butts, and she cannot lie. Uh, <laughs> I looked at many, many, many MRI images of the participants' gluteal muscles. I'm I'm serious. It was over 8,000 slides that I had to look at and analyze. That's 16,000 cheeks. I love the idea. Oh, goodness. Please please tell me you put that on your dating profiles. (laughs) 
who would win out of a butt looking contest? Would it be me or would it be a young man 25 years old um, on Instagram 24 7? I think I would win. You've got the, Vienna's got this down. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, my goodness. So, sorry, you broke up for a minute. Did you just say that you've seen Uranus 8,000 times? <laughs> No, no, not no, just the butt, just the butt. The, right, the, right. The, so, so, so honestly, the the butt is not affected by it, it's. You still your butt is still breaking down from from uh, microgravity and uh, spinning it up to one g doesn't help. Yes. Oh my it, goodness! It, it doesn't, unfortunately, because if you think about it, when you stand normally quietly, you are under the pressure of one g. Mm-hmm. But. That's what not the, what the hip muscles are designed for, not, not just what they were designed for, but they're walking and running. Running puts the gluteal muscles under 9G of force. Oh, okay. So if you were to centrifuge, if we were to eliminate all exercise and we centrifuge the body, different parts of the body would need different amounts of G to maintain <laughs> what they were used to on Earth. So the heart would need 1G, the brain could need 1G, but the gluteal muscles, they're real fussy. They need 9G sometimes. I love the idea. So you'll need a, you'll need a, a 9G butt centrifuge. You're like, I'll just be in the butt centrifuge. You see, mm, just in the, twerking like at 9G. Mm. I'm, I'm an so astronaut. I could, just stop, I could just stop exercising if I just increased my local gravity. That's a that sounds like a great idea. Not quite, not quite. But there's a catch. There's more. Um, it, you, it goes back to that active neuromuscular input. You need to actually think about doing the exercise and then then make your muscles do it voluntarily to have the muscles so, not atrophy as much. So you can't just. Sit I definitely there think about doing the exercise. <laughs> so you, you know what you're saying as as a medical professional, Vienna. You are saying twerking is going to save astronauts. We all have to twerk as astronauts. Um, in a way, yeah. In a way, <laughs> in good, a way. That's a good way of deflecting. Nicely done. Because uh, that's if you're standing there working it. If you, well, I just imagine you'd bend over, you'd put some big elastic bands attached to all four parts, and then you'd have to spin it around, and then and then you'd be fine. Isn't this just a Nautilus machine? Isn't this these things that they've been putting in, selling in magazines since the oh, yeah, 70s? You could, t- you could get a butt ring. You could attach a ring to your butt, and then you could attach a ring to the Nautilus machine, and then you could like pull with your buttocks. I'm not familiar with the Nautilus machine, but uh, it, it sounds fun. <laughs> not sure if it would work in gravity, in microgravity, though. Uh, yeah, it, it's a resistance. So, what about mental health in space? If someone's gone crazy, <laughs> look as go. the as the worst as the world's first space apothecary and twerker. I don't appreciate that, Dan. Thank you very much. I think that you'll find that my research is sound. <laughs> I mean, if someone saw you twerking in space, then yeah. I, I'm not sure if they'd consider you mentally sound. Let's, oh. let's put it that way. Oh, fine. <laughs> oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry to bring the bad news. Um, but mental <laughs> health in space, it's a, <laughs> it's a very, very big area, and I alluded to it before. Being in isolation is not good for any human's mental health, and neither is being in, an ice, in, a, in a closed environment with the lack of trees and water and things that humans have evolved to appreciate, and, and being with the same people as well. So you, 
I know. We're, we're evolved to be social creatures, right? Yeah. So we, we need to really get along with the people that we're trapped with. Mm. In addition to that, the stress and the pressure of having to complete tasks every day and making sure everything is safe and being a jack of all trades. I mean, if you if you got a hole in the space station, you can't call a tradie up to fix it. You have to <laughs> fix it yourself. If you get a cut, you can't call the doctor straight away. You, you would have to be trained in basic first aid. So you, you would need to be an expert in many, many things. And it's and you have very to you have to easy. talk to kids in in school all the time oh, the pesky younger generations get, and, that's, uh, and then you and then you have to record a hit song floating through the space station and then fight with david bowie's record company it's a whole there's that's a whole day all to itself right there they've done studies on mental health of astronauts and there is a slightly slightly higher incidence of depression and adjustment disorder in space Mm. compared to the general population. And a good analogue for this is Antarctica and analogue missions. That's where we got a lot of our data and research from in terms of isolation and behavioural studies. Yeah, because people get locked away. In, you're there for like six months or so in the dark over Antarctic winter. They have a small wintering group, don't they? So they okay. have all these people who are very isolated, like 20 people all locked together. And I've heard that during their, their winter solstice, there's a big party that happens to, as a bit of a stress reliever, which can get pretty crazy and out of hand and sort of fun and interesting. Nothing bad. That's, not, that's nothing compared to the ISS because that party happens every 45 minutes. Woo! <laughs> 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 that, that would be – that's what takes most of the time. It's the party prep. They haven't even sobered up from the last one. <laughs> well, like, all that space beer. Oh, I know. We've got to get it from somewhere. <laughs> So, Vienna, we've been having a lot of fun here chatting about all sorts of interesting things, about, about jobs I can have in space and different superheroes and whether computers can open doors and other really important things as well. But what's the thing that we haven't mentioned that you wish people would ask about space medicine? I've got to give credit to people like you guys and the people who I speak to about space medicine because they ask some very, very good questions. Ooh, thank you very much. Um, it, it, it's... It, they, you guys have covered a lot, and, and so has everybody else. So it's very difficult for me to think of something that has not been covered. We're experts at not knowing stuff. Mm-hmm. So, If I had the resources you required, and I could give you a great big government grant from Smart After the Better Industries to, to pay for your research, what would be the thing that you'd want to know and work on in space medicine? Uh, well, if you gave me that much money, I'd pay my hex debt off first. Oh, no, you're not allowed to, that's, no, can't do that. Not allowed. No, no, no. It's not research. allowed? Pure, not allowed. Pure research. Pure research. I'm sorry. I, I just won't show you the receipts. That's too astronomical, if anything. <laughs> We've got that much money. Good Lord. <laughs> anything that I want to research at all. I, it would be something to do with the genetics of being in space. I, See, I'm very, very curious to, to, to know what will happen to the, a generation that gets born on Mars. Mm. I'd like to research that. I don't know how you would do it. Um, you would probably have to do it on Mars. There's no mm. way you can analogue that on the Earth. But All right, we'll put that on the yeah. invoice. Yeah, we'll so put yeah. on so, the invoice. So what we'll do yeah. is that we'll just get some kids, we'll send them to Mars, and then you can... Oh, I've got the kids in mind already. <laughs> we have a list, and we can send them there, and then you could, you could, we could. That's, look, it's fine. It'll be fine. I'm sure it's all going to be great. You can't get kids that have been born. You have to get mothers who are, 
who would oh. give birth in space because we have no idea about how how birth will happen in space. The, oh. the, the baby in the womb needs oh. gravity to know where, where the head, where, the, where to oh, put no. their head, right? Um, the entire gestation process is going to be affected by microgravity. That is a big question mark that we don't know very much about. And then oh. what happens when they start evolving, learning and growing and developing yeah. in a partial gravity environment? I'm very sorry. You just opened up a huge... Like oh, there's so much, so many questions there. Do we know anything about can babies develop in space in microgravity, or, or would they just be? Would, would it just abort? Like, is it just? Oh my goodness, there's so many questions there. Mm. We have no idea. We we, we have oh. a sample size of zero. Wow. Okay. That I never thought of that. Because it's, it's going to have to happen if we want to become this concept of a interplanetary species. You're going to people are going to give birth in these long. You know, people. I said we talked about before. We're filthy monkeys. They can't keep our hands off each other. And so it's, it's going to happen at some point. Traveling these long distances, someone's going to get born. Ironically, a baby born in space would have the same physiology as an actual can of worms. <laughs> Like there'd be there'd be no bones. It'd just be sort of a whole bunch of. Well, we don't know that. The baby will still have the genetics of mum and dad, but what they do because you know a person is nature and nurture at the same time, and they will have the nature, the the half mum from mum and half from dad. But whether they actually develop in the same way as a normal kid would on Earth yeah. remains to be seen. I've watched the Expanse, and I know that that once you do have civilizations and other planets. Then, then they start, they get all uppity and they don't want to send you back Earth resources. And then there's like interplanetary wars mm-hmm. and, and it's just, oh, humans are the worst. <laughs> oh, we are. We're, we're competing for resources and we're just trying to pass on our genetics and look what we've done to ourselves. It's true. <laughs> it's true. And with that very deep ending for the podcast, Vienna, Tran, thank you very much for tell us about telling us all things space medicine. Oh, it's been such a pleasure talking to you and learning from you as well and, and laughing along with you guys. It's been yeah, a, a wonderful, wonderful show. Thank you so much, Greg, for organising that interview with Vienna oh. Tran. Oh, that my was a go- bloody delight. Oh, just, I'm just, every everything she said, and now I have more questions about space medicine that even, ah, but. Well, luckily, she's uh, she's asked if she can come back. I know, so, I know. Uh, one, oh. one day we'll get to ask those oh. questions. So, listeners, if you have any space medicine questions that weren't answered in this one, let us know, and we'll put them in a file, and we'll lob them at the Vaistronaut herself. Hopefully she'll answer them for us. Is that what you're supposed to do with files? I just get all the listeners' ideas, I put them in a file, and I keep them safe. No one will ever hear about them. (laughs) And one day I'll do a tell-all book. (laughs) That's not true. I rely on those ideas for most of my staff. Of course. Absolutely. I get some wonderful ones. You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. Also at Greg at smartenough.org. At Greg at smartenough.org? At you Greg put... at smart at greg.com. That's not how dot... email addresses oh, work. Don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, I just say, Siri, send emails to everyone. Anyway. What is the name of that little diacratic thing in the middle of an email address? Ampersand. No, an ampersand is like a snake thing. It goes whoosh and then oh, whizzes back it, down. That's an at, ampersand. It's the at symbol. It's, 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 it's the at symbol, but there must be a proper name for it. Hang on. Checking the internet right now. Oh, that's cheating. I know. I don't know what it is. I bet the internet doesn't know what it is. Uh, it's the at sign, address sign, or, or at. There you go. It's the that's at. rubbish. It's... Isn't there something weird and Latiny? No, it's the at sign. Listeners, if you know what the at sign is really called, email in.
Well, we named we named. I'll the, put it in my file. Our listeners have named the moon. We named the sun. Yep. So maybe we should name. The, yes. <laughs> hmm. Smart enough, no better. Are running a competition to name the at sign. <laughs> Just. Send us a tweet with your name for the at sign as well as a link to smartenough.org. <laughs> you could be in the running for winning a, some sort of shirt. A shirt. That oh, we look. will post to you yes. or have posted to you. Fantastic. We're doing it. This is how the best ideas always happen in the world. People just randomly say things on a microphone and then have to do them. If it really does have a name, we are in trouble. Because <laughs> like those punctuation people, they're not nice. Like yeah, the... Uh, the yeah. uh, so who are the IAU, astronomical? The IAU. The IAU. Yeah. They're not nice like them. Yep. They will come for you. Yeah, and they will interrobang you until you yeah. ask them to stop. Right in the colon. <laughs> and no, if... one, no one wants a semi in the colon. <laughs> oh, God. What are we doing? Can't believe that I've never heard that joke before. That yeah. is, that's, that's, that's sitting there on a platter. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, so if you would like to support this podcast, like, not the last bit, but it, like the first <laughs> bit was good with the with the guest. Look, if you want to support that sort of stuff? We are not. We are not king shaming people. We're not here to yuck your yum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like whatever what punctuation about? things you want. Yeah. That's right. As long as everyone's consenting, it's fine. I'm just asking the question, Mark. That's that's true. Oh, oh my goodness. Somewhere I can just tell the Lingthusiasm podcast, Gretchen McCulloch is really angry at us. (laughs) Like, really angry at us. (laughs) We've accidentally straight... (laughs) She and her podcast are sitting there with bats going, you've come to the wrong part of town, boys. All right. Oh, if you so yes, if you want to support this madness, you can share us with other people. Yes, tell that, everyone about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you. Sorry. Let, let me re- rewind. We've done it. this a few times, surely. Nah, it's weird energy today. Yeah. You can get along to the website smartenough.org. Click on the buttons if you want to subscribe. Click on the other buttons if you want to subscribe in a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you would like to join in the conversation and you've got a comment about this episode, you can use our brand new comment section oh, that I have made on the website. Because guess what, Greg? What's I've that got my own personal website. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I ran a little tool over it and, and, and I was very pleased because it was like no trackers Ooh. on the site. And I was like, no trackers, no no Facebook trackers, no Google trackers. I'm clean as. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'll just, I like that thrill. I'll do that on my other site. I did it on Smart Enough No Better. And it was like, oh, they are so many trackers. <laughs> we know exactly where you are all the time. I'm like, how did this even happen? It's discus. It's oh. the comment system that I that I put it in there. Yes. Of course, I, it hadn't occurred to me. But I'm not paying for that. So I'm the I'm the service, not the I'm not the not the client. Yes, yeah, you are. Yeah, you, you're what's being sold. Yeah, they're, they're, they're so hawking you got out. rid of it. They put you in a sexy skirt and make you walk up and down the street. That's what they're doing. Yeah, mm. yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah. Which is fine, which is yeah, which is fine work if you want to do it, but if you don't want to do it, that's don't want to do it. Don't want to do it. There you go. Don't want to do it. Yeah. So got rid of it, spent three weeks working on a brand new comment system for the site, which a couple of people have used. Yes. You tried to log in, didn't get very far. I got I, conf- saw. I got well, I guess yes, I got confused and then and cried. 
That's fine. Well, it, it, it hopefully it's not too confusing, and that. <laughs> but if it is, tell people tell me because I can fix it. But it's passwordless, Greg. Oh my goodness! No password. You try to log in and you give it your email address, and it sends you a click, and you click in, and oh, then you just in. That's what it was. That's why I was confused. Fair enough. That's good. Okay, I, I was at work and couldn't access my home emails and work emails, and yeah, anyway, yeah, it's fine. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't at work. Yeah. I wasn't wasting work time. No, no. <laughs> Everyone always works continuously for the eight hours yep. that you work. That's what COVID taught us. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so it's a little bit different in that two people can have the same username. What? So none of that, none of that happened to be Greg seventy five. Oh my goodness! But that means someone could pretend to be me. They could, except they, but you are the first Greg in there. Am I? So Uh-oh. it'll say you're the fir- you're the only Greg, and if there's another person who's going to be Greg, yep. then you'd be the first Greg, and okay. they'd be the second Greg. Right. Okay. So and they'll on. have a different thing. And if you are a patron, if you're supporting us with money on the site, you could have your own special little badge on the comment section. Oh my goodness! That's oh, it. That, has wow. to be. Oh, that's exciting. I have to implement it. Manually, so you might have to give me a heads up, but I'm going to be, try to be on top of that. That's cool. Oh, um, that's very cool. Love it. That's so. Do I get a Greg, badge? Of course. Do I get a badge? Oh, you're you're a, you're a co-captain. Oh my! <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, we, like the the, the the smart enough comedy blimp is like a Jaeger. Yes. From yeah, yeah. Uh, from <laughs> Pacific Rim. Yes. So we we both have to drive at the same time, we, or else it does it's not going anywhere. No, no, it does. It just yeah, we have to. We have to. Yeah, it just floats around around like it's had a stroke. <laughs> That's what this podcast is. If it, without both of us putting our brains in, no one brain can run a podcast. It's just not possible. Yeah. And the different levels of patron. Get different badges. Oh my God. We're finally, oh, we're we're finally going into a caste system. Oh God, I'm so happy. Bring in some. Oh. <laughs> I didn't mean to. Uh, oops. No, no, no. I'm I'm excited by that. That's great. Uh, oh, well, you would be. I, especially with me at the top. I mean, that's... I didn't I didn't realize it was going to be so problematic. <laughs> so many. So we get slightly but, different avatars too. But we you can't... can't upload a photo. Yeah. It's it's so clever. It uses your username and your ID to. F- dynamically create a little picture in the style of the Smart Enough logo. That's amazing. I'm very excited. It's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Okay, everyone, go to the comments section and just tell Dan how clever mm. he is, please. And when you log in the first time, it's going to call you anonymous, but it's really easy to change your name because there's a little icon next to your name. This is, look, I'm in awe. That's very exciting. And if you get confused, email dan at smartenough.org and I'll see what I can do. Now, about these patrons, yes. some of them have paid us so paid us so much money that they are getting their name read out on the podcast. So a big thank you to Andrew Whitehurst, Ivan, Lindsay Jenkinson, Granny Maguire, Christopher Ravel, Britta Rogowski, Elizabeth Yunkin, Matthew Toy, Matt Ewers, Phil Holland, Ilana Mitchell, Andrew Potts, and Avi Greenbury. Yay! We like thank you. Thank you guys all so much. Yeah, it's true. There is, of course, the top tier who have paid us so much money that I am forced to insult them. <laughs> that was a that was a weird idea. Just like the our new naming the at symbol, that was a one-off comment that turned into a thing that now consumes your life. I better make a note of that too at some <laughs> point. Okay, I'll tell you what I've been up to recently, Greg. Mm-hmm. The comment section was done weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Ever since then, I've basically been twenty-four-seven playing a video game called Hades. Okay. Yes. I am obsessed right? with this. 
Yes. Hades is all about you being the son of Hades in the underworld and trying to escape with the help of the Olympian gods. Yes. So this month's insults are based on the Olympian gods. (laughs) Wow. We're getting literary. That's great. Steve Eichenhout, who calls himself in the patron the official Steve of the podcast, much to the displeasure of one Steve Beeston. (laughs) who I got a very angry message from. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, Steve Eichenhout, you are like Zeus, the king of the gods, in that when people see you, they are shocked. Oh, very good. Very good. Okay. Steve Stewart. Steve Stewart, you are like the Greek god Dionysus, in that you make people sick. <laughs> Tom Seary, you are like Lady Demeter, goddess of the harvest, in that when you turn up, people's response is like, so? Oh, oh. That's, that, that, that joke oh, works better written down. Oh, that's, that's so, oh, wow, that's painful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fair enough. Okay. Sean Siefkin, you are like Lord Poseidon, in that you are a ruinous outcome for semen. <laughs> that's the classiest. And finally, that's the classiest anyone's ever been called a wanker in the universe. <laughs> oh no, that's supposed to infer he's a waste of sperm. Oh right, okay, right. Either one, okay, right, mm-hmm. okay, got it. Okay, yeah. sorry, okay. okay. Either works. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. And finally, <laughs> Mikkel Kadar, you are like Lady Aphrodite. You can get f-ed. what? She's the goddess of love. She. Not the goddess of not Eros, the goddess of lust. What are you doing? Oh, Lady Aphrodite in Hades is like she's all over you. Okay, yeah. Uh, no, she's okay. All right, she's up for it. Right. Okay. <laughs> no one really wants a little winged cherub fat baby going. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> That's a bit problem. That's a bit more problematic. <laughs> hey, I'm not here to yuck anyone's yeah. Oh no 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 no. No, 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 no. It's an immortal god. It's not. It's, it's uh, not. A, it's not a normal baby. No, 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 it's no. It's not a normal. No, no, a, no, 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 no. It's older than you, Greg. No, no, no. We're not going down that path. Oh God. I think it's okay. No, it's not. It's now. Oh. Okay. Well, you know what? You know what? Fine, fine. You can wrap up the rest of the podcast by yourself then. I personally have to get rid of this giant snake monster that is the only top-tier patron who says that I don't need to insult them and has the head of Michael Barnes. All right, come here, you. Oh, great. Now it's got the head of Michael Barnes and Morton O'Hare. Chop, 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 chop. Oh, now it's got the head of Michael Barnes, Morton O'Hare, Al Batson, Eric Wilson and Scott Driscoll. Chop, chop, chop. Okay, thank you to everyone who donates and supports us in other ways. Chop, chop, chop. Smarten Up No Better is a part of the That's Not Canon network. Chop, chop. And as we always like to say... Hail Hydra! Chop, chop, chop. No, don't, don't, don't change sides, you... Ah, chop, chop. How old is this person? Best not yeah. to think. Tell you what, Greg, if I was 10 years younger, I would still be way too old for her. <laughs>
<laughs> the joke name, but that's why I did it. And then, but it's called Far Cough. And, and it's just, it's, it's me going <laughs> at the other side of the room. But it's a really good sound. It's a really mm. good sound. And it also. This is from your mime sketch, wasn't it? Yes, yes, that's it. Yeah, people, yes, yeah, and, and no one liking the work. Yeah, that's right. Good memory. The, the funny thing is that the, the way that I remembered that sketch is you, you did the far cough, and I'm like, I remember that sound effect. And I visualized the theater with the guy coughing in it that I knew the sound effect from yeah. because I visualized it before. And then I turned around and there was a mime artist. And I'm like, yeah, I remember this. I remember this, uh, this made up location in my head. Welcome to episode. No, hang on. Is it... Yeah, that's how I do it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Welcome to episode. Let's get, let's get a clean take where no one's making it all dirty. With their terrible, terrible mouths. <laughs> Why would you say it like that? <laughs> Why would you do that? So many terrible mouths. <laughs> terrible mouths. Okay. Okay, good. It's good energy now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great radio. <laughs> <laughs> now, now we're going to be here for the hour. <laughs> Try the meal. No, this is serious. Yes. This is a serious podcast oh, yeah, about science. science, comedy, and ignorance. That's right. We don't. We don't. No, no funniness here. I said, "Hey, would you mind doing a little speech at the end?" And I went, "Oh, okay, sure." And the aide said, uh, "Have you prepared for the speech?" And I went, "No, no, no. The first I've heard of it is now." And then she went, "Oh, are you going to be okay?" And I went, "Oh, yes." <laughs> Very cocky. Oh yes, out of my way, young thing. I am. Bring me the microphone. Try and stop it. Right. <laughs> I was going to take it anyway. And uh, I sort of took the mic and said, "Hello, I'm Greg from Ikra." I said, "You here at Mount Magnet have a great resource." And everyone was like, "Oh, okay, yeah." And I don't mean the minerals under your feet, but the stars in the sky above your dark town. <laughs> and you see people go. Oh, he just subverted our expectations. <laughs> you really did. People went, oh, oh that's, oh, that's a, that, you can see the brains going. Oh, I, I feel a bit s- smarter yeah, right. from, from hearing, from having heard I, that. I've turned, he's turned that around. I was expecting one thing, but he just flipped it over here. And, uh, oh, I, I've never felt so romantic about my own <laughs> One guy, he was a teacher, and he came up and he went, oh, yeah, very good speech. Oh, thank you very much. And he went, yes, you sounded like mm-hmm. you were leading us on some sort of crusade. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes. So join me all in knocking out all of the streetlights. <laughs> what, what I'm saying is I'm going to end up on a pyre one day. <laughs> oh, I've known that for years. <laughs> I've booked the pyre. <laughs> Both you and Greg would be on the same audio track, mm-hmm. which would make things a little bit tricky. And too. I am very loud, so can you like turn it down? Like, do you have? Does it go into? Can I turn it down? Or... Never, not even possible. <laughs> this is it. There's one level for Gregoire. It's, it's, it's... <laughs> if you imagine your ostolith after millions of years of evolution. Your ostolith goes into space, and it's like. Uh, I'm, I'm getting nothing here. Uh, I, I, have no, I have no frame of reference on how to. Uh, I, um, uh. I, I think what would happen, it would be constantly sending the message, we have been falling for a very long time. <laughs> brace, brace, brace. Okay.
indeed. And and so the urinating out of blood. Uh, blood. What? <laughs> Let's start that again. So we're going to start that uh, again. We're about to try that screaming in space experiment. <laughs> Anything that I want to research at all. I'm, oh, I'm very interested in, in muscles and how we maintain muscles in space because that, that is my research area. We have heard that you are a butt monster, so it's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I haven't heard that. I promise I haven't heard that. That was, that was a bit too much. I apologise for that. Uh, I, I understand that Nudsen is accounts for like 90% of people in Norway. I think it is. <laughs> like Mr Nudsen's great, 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 great grandfather put it about. <laughs> he, he got it on like the astronauts did. That's right, yes. He's, he set the yeah. precedent. <laughs> But suddenly we found out that you're a butt doctor kind of specialist. <laughs> that was the best discovery ever. I was like, oh my god! That for this podcast, that's a gift. My goodness, it's like lead with that. Lead with the butt. Yeah, uh, lead, lead with the butt. The head will follow. That's right. There you go. <laughs> Twerk it, Very and they good. will come. I always wanted to you know, go into space. It's something I'm really excited by. But I've realised when you're talking about the up and down problems, I have a big problem with that sort of stuff. I, I get, I can get dizzy and then I get nauseous very quickly. And I realised, oh, I'd be really bad at that. I want one G by the sea. That's all I want. Not, not on a, on any incline because the the further you go up a mountain, the less yes. G there is. Oh, so. Yeah, yeah, that's right. and also the the air pressure reduces. I'm not good with that either. So yeah, unfortunately, mm. my body, my brain wants great things, and my body <laughs> is like no. Nah. Gravity and pressure are the first two things to go in space. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Your two vices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I'm, I'm addicted. <laughs> Tom Seary, you are like Lady Demeter. Demeter? Demeter? You're like Lady Demeter. I think it's Demeter, but... I, Demeter? Yeah, I think it's Demeter. Demeter? That's, that's Demeter blew her apart. That's a, okay. Let me. Jeez. No. Demeter... <laughs> Demeter, damn, damn near, really respected her space and hoped she did well in her career. Did you make a meter? Did I don't? Uh, this is going in the out. I, yeah, I'm cutting all. That. <laughs> I'm trying again. Yeah, no, I uh, I thought it was good, good fun. Cool. Part of my brain was like, wait, so if the brown bears weren't awake. Then neither would the polar bears. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, and I'm like, no, no, no. Put that aside. Ignore it. Yeah. Just enjoy the story, Dan. Yes. And like drop bears okay. aren't a thing. But the, but the polar bears. <laughs> oh, I love the drop bears, actually. It's like the koalas were not a problem. But there were another bear. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> and that's, uh, he, so, he's yeah. British, so he's an Englishman. So it's very much like a thing that he's like, oh, my God, this is a great like thing in, in your mythology. Like drop bears. Definitely. Well, maybe he thinks it's real. No, 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 no. Maybe that's... No, no, he doesn't. No, 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 no. Um, you don't know. Like, you don't know. No. Well, if, if everyone's been doing their job, <laughs> them idiot poms think that drop bears are real. I like the fact he puts them... Oh, but just a hey, note to Dan, don't put this bit after the <laughs> end of the podcast. Yeah.